So welcome to session five of five in the Many Faiths uh, series. This Lent, thank you so much for your participation and for your questions and the seriousness with which you have approached this variety of topics and the guests that we've had. Uh, so today what we are going to do is, uh, we're going to do two things. One, we're going to talk about other Christians, because even though we live in a many faith world, our own faith, there's a lot of diversity within it. And so how do we as Lutheran Christians understand and respond and interact uh, with other Christians? How, how do we handle that dialogue? And then I just want to provide some time to kind of review and open up space for us to kind of process some of the things that we've been learning throughout uh, this season of Lent. So we're going to be open with this uh, slide, which we've come back to several times, these three rules of interfaith dialogue. Does anyone remember any of these? There, uh, a Lutheran b bishop in Sweden came up with them. Yeah, Kathy? Yeah. Let them speak for themselves. Don't ask other people about uh, someone else's faith. Ask a practitioner of their faith. Yeah, Michelle? Leave room for holy envy. That's where uh, we see things that we admire in other traditions and we say, that's okay. That's okay that we're different and that's okay that we don't have it. Gosh, can we go three for three? Matt? Don't let the worst speak for all. Yes. Uh, yeah, so especially, <laughs> especially don't um, compare our best to their worst. Um, yeah, but, but, but um, you know... Apples and oranges. Um, so this, we, we introduced it in the context of other religions, but I think that this could be good ecumenical or between churches dialogue too. So these same three rules apply. So before we go, let's see, does anyone remember when we talked about Lutheran theology? Because in order to talk to the other we have to know a little bit about ourselves and who we are is sometimes revealed in context of talking to the other. And that's why these conversations are so important. I'll just give you these ones. Um, these are three things that I think are helpful for Lutherans to realize when we're talking about other faith or other faith traditions or other Christian traditions. So one, Lutherans believe that both sin and God's grace are present in everything. It's always a mixture. So when we look at our own church, we can be like, yeah, there's a lot of grace here, but there's also probably sin. And when we look at other people's churches or synagogues or mosques, we can say, you know what? They're, they might not have everything right. They might screw up, but there's also a lot of good there. There's also a lot of grace we can learn about God from looking at these other traditions. Another thing that Lutherans do really well is when we dare speak about God, we always speak about God's mercy and God's grace and God's favor and love and delight in this world. God is, for Lutherans, God is always first and middle and last, always 
a God of love and an outpouring of mercy. And the third thing that can help us here, it's something that makes us um, or might make us uh, particular uh, or different from other Christian traditions, is that we believe that salvation is a mystery. It's something that is bigger than our minds can comprehend. God is always bigger than us. And finally, whether or not um, we know um, who's in or who's out of, of God's plan or God's kingdom or heaven or whatever we want to say, that's not up to us. That's up to God. And when we talk about God, remember, we're always talking about God's mercy and grace and love. So we don't get to decide who's in and who's out and where God gets to show up because that's God's job. So those are three things we talked about. I'm also going to nerd out on you guys a little bit, and I'm sorry. Um, If you go into a Lutheran pastor's office, they're going to have this tiny volume um, bound in blue, maybe red if they're older, called the Confession or the Book of Concord, the Confessions of the Evangelical Lutheran Church. This is Martin Luther and his contemporaries writing to their enemies in a religiously plural world. You know, all sorts of stuff was up for debate in their times. And this is the book of what they thought. And Martin Luther and his contemporaries could have drawn a really, really tight boundary around this new movement that they were creating and said, you know what, we're, we're the ones who have the, tr- the truth. Everybody else better watch out. But instead, they said this. They said, it's enough for the true unity of the church to agree concerning the teaching of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments. So those two things, if you're preaching the gospel... If you have the sacraments, that's the unity of the church. It is not necessary that human traditions, rites, or ceremonies instituted by human beings be alike everywhere. So this is why Lutheran worship can look very different in different churches. And this is also why the ELCA, is, uh, which is the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which Mount Olivet is a part of it, has pursued really robust and strong relationships with other Christian churches. is because, like, when we go to a Presbyterian church or a Methodist church or a UCC church or a Episcopal church and we attend worship, we hear the gospel being preached, right? We hear God um, justifying the, the ungodly through Christ. Um, that's the technical formulation. Um, And we also see the sacraments. We see that baptism is the right of entry. And we see that um, communion is shared by everyone and is God feeding us with God's own grace. So um, what this means is that the Lutheran view of truth is that it's bigger than us. Our church does not own truth. We look for truth even outside our church. This means that Lutherans are small c, Catholic. Catholic means universal. That is the the meaning of the word Catholic. And so when when we as Lutherans 
see truth outside of our own congregation and we see truth other places, that means we're Catholic. Funny. Lutherans are also evangelical. Small evangelical. Evangelical means good news. Because the good news that Lutherans cling to so fiercely is that um, God has chosen to save the world in mercy and grace apart from anything that we could do for ourselves. God has decisively acted in the person of Christ to reconcile the whole world to God's own self. Um, So that's good news because that takes a whole lot of weight off of our shoulders. And that's good news that we can share with other Christian traditions too, um, who might not share that formulation. Finally, Lutherans are reforming. Martin Luther might might come back and be surprised at uh, the ELCA. It might look very different to him. But what would look the same to him is that it is a church that is constantly one foot over here in the Bible and the tradition and the beliefs that have grounded Christianity and one foot trying to communicate it to the world in a contemporary context. So that is um, the Lutheran uh, model is always reforming. You know, you can read and memorize this book um, that all the Lutheran pastors have, but this is not the synonymous with what Lutherans uh, believe because what we believe and how we act is shaped by our context. Um, Tori's in the room, and she gave a reflection in worship a couple weeks ago where uh, she talked about her church in South Africa, and it was Lutheran, right? And, like, theology was different, worship was different, community life was different, but what was the same is that they were trying to faithfully live out their call to preach, you know, the good news in their context. They are equally Lutheran as we are. We're just responding to our context differently. So that's why Lutherans are reforming. Put these up at the top because they're going to be kind of benchmarks for us in this next series of conversations in which you guys get to talk. Um, Does anyone remember what theology means? This was a great question from a couple sessions ago. It's a discussion. Yes. Yes, God, way to help each other out. Um, Theology is thinking and reflecting and talking about God and then what our lives look like in response to God. So for example, one bit of theology that I, I just did was if we view God and God's truth as bigger than our church, then our lives have to look different, right? Because we have to be looking for truth outside um, of our church, in our neighbors, in our neighbors' churches, in our neighbors' faith. That's what theology is. It's thinking about God and then acting differently because of it. So we are going to do some scenarios at your tables. And if you don't know each other um, at your tables, uh, you can introduce each other, yourselves uh, at the first scenario. 
Okay, this one's a common one. And by the way, there are no right or wrong answers here. This is an exercise for all of you to do theology, to think about why would I behave this way? What is it that I believe about God that would make me behave this way? Okay, so you are visiting your cousins, and they take you to their Roman Catholic Church on Sunday. They say they know the church has rules against non-Roman Catholics receiving communion, but that they think they're silly. Do you take communion? Why or why not? And so as you discuss that, a next level of conversation for be, would be once you've worked out your response, think about how is that a Lutheran response? Am I making use of these building blocks of Lutheran theology, that sin and grace are everywhere, that we act uh, by God's grace and mercy, that we see salvation as a mystery, that we're evangelical, Catholic, and reforming. Are those playing any role in your answers? Okay, so you're at your cousin's. They say they're cool with uh, you taking communion, but they know there's rules against it. Are you going to go ahead and discuss? All right, to throw a wrench in this discussion, if you, oh, you need more? Okay, okay. No, I'm still going to throw a wrench in this discussion. If you are kind of done discussing this, um, if you said you would take communion, would it make a difference if your cousins were going to be a little bit offended? if you took communion. Yeah, so go ahead and talk about that for just a couple minutes. All right, 30 more seconds of night, or just wrap it up, quick. All right, I wanna hear what were some good reasons that you heard at your tables. Is there any wisdom out there on how to answer this question? And I, I would love to hear different responses. So what, who would like to share what was... Your Catholic parents. Your Catholic hosts. Oh, so, so you, would, you would take communion? Well, if you were sure, sure if they were... If, if, you knew, if, if you knew you weren't going to offend, you would take communion. Great. And, and why? Because you're not offending your, the people that you care about. Yeah. Yes. Consistent with your, with your own theology and your own worship and your own yeah. rituals. And, and yeah. Yeah, it's something recognizable for you, yeah. right? It's a, it's a different building, but it's the same. Yeah, it's printed in Bullets and which often is. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? It's respect. It kind of depended on how much, how overtly. Mm. Yeah. Did anyone else run into this? Maybe your cousins are cool, but the priest says something, or it's in the bulletin, or yeah, yeah. What? What else? Who else has an answer? Yeah. Oh, I just probably would not take me because if the church honestly has rules and they don't take me, then I, I respect the church. You know. 
Yeah, and and so you're saying it's an act of being a good guest, right? You're showing respect for the community of faith and their practices um, by by stepping away and saying, I, I can sit out this time, right? Huh. Anyone else have an answer like that? Yeah. Well, uh, my uncle, who's Catholic, has his traditions. He will not go to the communion if any of his, like, if I go to church room. And he just says, if you can't go to the communion, I won't. Wow. So Ken has a family member who is Roman Catholic, who when Ken or another family member will visit him, he'll say, if, if my family can't receive communion, I'm just not going to two this time. And then that's it. Yeah, yeah. These are great. See, this is theology, people. You're doing theology. Um, yeah. Because within the last couple of years, Pope Francis came out and inferred that new friends could come up for and, and a bunch of... Yes, he did. Yeah, so um, at the Vatican, Pope Francis had a bunch of Lutheran pastors and bishops over from around the world, and they got in line at communion, and he served them. He didn't, say, he didn't then say, and Lutherans are welcome at Catholic tables all over the world, but he did it. Yeah. My answer, just so you know, um, is that, yeah, I take communion at Catholic churches because they're the words of Jesus, it's the same Jesus, and I am acting out my faith in a radical unity of the church. I will not go if I am sitting with someone who will be very hurt. And that's, that's you know, my, my own personal thing. I'm not saying that you have to or not, but that's my theology on that. Okay, scenario number two. Your friend and you are talking and conversation drifts towards Mount Olivet. I told Pastor Beth about this one. <laughs> you start raving about Pastor Beth's last sermon. And your friend says, I didn't know you went to a church where women can be pastors. Doesn't the Bible say that women should be silent in church? What is your response? And why? And as always, what's Lutheran about that response? Where are you getting that response? Go ahead and talk at your tables. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
One is that the Bible actually does say uh, in 1 Corinthians 14.34, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. For, so for those of you who thought I was just making that up, like, I wish I were, um, that, that's in there. Ooh, so Kelly's already doing theology here, right? Um, she's saying, are there other places in the Bible where, where it would say something different? Yes, the New Testament records women like Phoebe and Junia as being early leaders of the church. And so obviously they would have had to speak. And um, uh, there's also the Pentecost story, right? Where the spirit is poured out over all people and they're all speaking and preaching the word of God in their own language. And, um, and from three weeks ago, if you remember, oh, who was it who said this? Uh, Leslie, it might've been you who said, um, when Lutherans talk about the Bible, we let the... Um, the grace of Jesus Christ and the freedom we experience in Jesus Christ outweigh everything else. That is the lens through which we view these other passages. So um, with, with passages like this, 
Um, you, can, you can choose just to say, you know what, not really wisdom giving right now. Or there's some scholars who talk about um, how this was um, like a sign of dealing with oppression is you just kind of like power down and get, get through it, right? So for Christians who were being um, oppressed or for places where there were repressive gender norms, they were like, you know what? We're going to just like try, try to um, keep, keep a low profile so we don't get persecuted. So that, that's another reason why scholars think that these verses might have ended up in the Bible. Okay, so that's point of clarification number one on women pastors. Point two is that in the Lutheran church, uh, women couldn't get ordained as pastors until the 1970s, until the early 70s. Um, and so... Uh, that's within some of our lifetimes. And um, yeah, one of the the second Lutheran woman to get ordained in North America was in Edina, Minnesota. So yeah. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, so what did what did people say? How would you respond to this friend? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those were her words. Yeah. Girl power. Girl power, indeed. Yeah. In our confession of faith, we talk about the Catholic Church, small c. Yeah. Catholic meaning universal. Yes. Oh, yeah. So you're saying this is, we are living out our identity as the Catholic Church universal means we have to recognize, like our church teaches us to listen for God in many places. And guess what? Our church heard God speaking through women and praise God for being that big and praise our church for getting it right in the seventies. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes, the Bible often contradicts itself. The Bible is a holy conversation, and we get to take part in that conversation too. There are so many places in the Bible where um, you'll get different perspectives on things, and the Bible might not always line up into a picture-perfect um, document rule book for life that sometimes we want it to be. That is a gift that our church has. I hope when all your friends say, I thought women couldn't be pastors, you talk about how the Bible is a contradictory document and how it opens our minds to look for truth in many places. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. This was an issue when I was in high school. Don't know if it's still around. You or a youth in your life are asked to participate in an hour of Christian prayer before school where you'll gather around the flagpole and pray that God will give you words to witness to the importance of Jesus in your life to other students who might not know him. Do you go? What do you pray for? Why do you go? Why do you not go? What, why is your response your response? Go ahead. 7 a.m. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 
is that the one of the commandments or commandments? Amendment. Creative of religion, you can't put someone to be So that I feel like I was going to get that, and then I feel like I was going to put someone to be like seconds on this one, please. Be thinking about if you want to share. Does anyone want to share? Oh, Vicky, go ahead. Sure. Yeah, I checked online um, because this is a thing, and um, it the, it's in September apparently. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Used to be in the spring. Yeah. Um, well, we used to live up near Detroit Lakes, and my kids went to a small school, Lake Park, and there was an announcement, and we went. And um, you didn't really talk about your faith; it was just praying. I think it was more for like world peace. Mm. And I think that it was also the fact that um, you have the, the nerve or the guts to stand out there mm -hmm. in front of people yeah. and declare what you believe in. Yeah. 
So it was about um, really, um, you know, sometimes religion, some, some religions have ways to mark themselves that they're an adherent of that religion. Christians don't always have a way, and so it was a way to kind of like come out as a Christian and support each other as friends. Oh, it's interfaith. Okay. 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 <laughs> interfaith Christian, not interfaith, but with, within Christianity. Yeah. <laughs> I'm near Detroit Lakes. Sure. Yeah. So you thought it was powerful to support each other like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Other people. We talked a little bit about how it depends on kind of how it's being perceived within that community. Like in your experience, there was enough momentum and enough involvement that you weren't going to feel awkward or ostracized because you did it. When I know, like right here in Robbinsdale, I know a girl who in September stood at the pole by herself for an hour. Mm -hmm. But partly because no one else knew what was going on. Yeah. Like it wasn't something that they made the announcement. The church, well, they didn't in school, but the churches made people. But yeah. did we know about that? Like we weren't necessarily involved. So, so it's but. something that it kind of depends on yeah. how you're getting that message. And then are you a singular entity? Mm -hmm. Are you a group of five or ten people that are popular, not popular? Like it, would have a, it would depend on how much momentum it's gaining and how you're a teenager. Yeah. You gotta remember the teenagers. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. You know, I we realize the struggle is real. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to step out there by yourself unless you are feeling empowered by your peers. That's right. Yeah. And so what I love about your two responses is that they are so Lutheran because they're paying attention to the context. How what's the spirit of the event in the community? Is this being used to build people up? Is this being used to divide people? Is this being used to, for people to feel victimized or ostracized? And to really pay attention to that. That's what I really like about your two responses. Does anyone have another thing that they'd like to share on this? Yeah, Matt. Um, I couldn't imagine at my school ever participating in it. It would make me feel extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, from a legalistic standpoint of religion, yeah. I just, truly believe in the divide between church and state, yeah. and that the two ought not to mix. Um, I have too many Muslim students who I would truly be afraid yeah. that we would be ostracizing them, yeah. and I'm very uncomfortable with that concept, Yeah. and so I don't think that has any place in a public school property. Yeah, so being respectful of how it's going to be received by maybe those who um, are religious minorities in America or who have been hurt by the church, um, that would be another thing to tiptoe around. And yeah, that's, that's yeah. Awesome way to, to bring those together, though. I mean, if, if the purpose of it is, isn't about a religion, it's about a higher just getting along and caring for your neighbor and stuff yeah. like that, it, can be, it could be a, such a powerful thing if it was approached You're right. that way versus being... We're getting together, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah, so again, tending to, is this a thing that is welcoming and inclusive and builds people up or, or not? Michelle, did you have something? Yeah, well, my group really focused on um, the problem of, of wanting to have the words to convert other people and how mm. disrespectful that is yeah. and how truly, like, you cannot force someone to just believe with your words and yeah. 
that if they if they are going to be interested, it's probably not by us saying something. It's more by our actions. Yeah. Yeah. So you're taught. Yeah. So this was specifically in this scenario, a prayer service designed to set us on fire to to win some hearts for Jesus. Um, and you're saying that maybe that is better done in in action. And ultimately, oh, it's um, this salvation as God's work, right? We don't convert people. That's a, that's between a holy the Holy Spirit and a, you know a person. Hmm. Leslie. So I'm, I'm Matt's statement got me thinking. So I don't think that maybe in your case, but I don't think in contemporary metro area that a, that a public school mm-hmm. would ever make this as part of their program. Yes. But we make space for worship within the schools when we provide prayer space. That's right. So if um, Students of faith, we don't have to, you know, not limited to Christian or Lutheran. If students of faith mm-hmm. knew about this date and chose, with no announcement from the school, mm-hmm. to gather on that yeah. specific date, yeah, is that different than than providing space inside the building to pray? Yeah. So how this has worked is um, there have been num. Uh, numerous lawsuits about this, and overall, the group that puts this on has has won because that if it's not school district sponsored, the school district makes a space for religious practice in their school. The same they do with you know the Muslim our Muslim friends who were here talking about how there's a prayer room in school that they they're free to use. It's the same kind of accommodation that's been held up for for these well, Christians. I Say, no. Say, no, 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 no. It needs to come from within the faith community. Yes. yes. It was not, even in my case, it was not. No, it was the yeah. church community. It was the church community yeah. Yeah. that did the promotion. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a follow-up question for that then. What are your thoughts about the prayer space for other things at school? If you're, you were very adamant, at least that's what I heard, yeah. about the vision of um, I have absolutely no problem setting aside space for students to pray. In fact, I would like to be able to expand it out to any student who wishes to pray yeah. at school. It's, again, it's allowing, and I understand these cases, and I follow them as well, and I'm comfortable allowing that to happen. My worry about doing it as a public gathering yeah. on school property is that it's viewed by some in the community as being sponsored by mm. Now, I hear what you're saying, that it wasn't. I'm worried that that message would get spread well, mm-hmm. and it would be viewed wrongly. Yeah. Yeah. And that you personally would not participate in it. Because... I would not. Right. Yeah. And yeah. that was the question. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, I think we had one more, but I'm going to just... Um, this one's about me, so... Um, and scenarios for a pastor, so... There's that. Um, I know Michelle's group has got to go, so why don't you guys get out of here? Um, and the rest, <laughs> um, the rest of you, we're going to start reviewing because one thing that we didn't have time for, um, really, and I want to make sure that we do, 
is some active reflection on our guests. And so um, just at your tables, if you were here last week, great. If you weren't, fill, uh, you can get filled in by your neighbors. But we had Iris, and she talked about her family in the Holocaust and tracing that back. It wasn't so much about what is Judaism, but it was about her life, which is part and parcel Jewish, right? So where was God in her reflection last week? And more broadly, what can we, as those who follow Jesus, learn about our own faith from her story? So just a couple minutes with this. Were you not here? Okay. And as you, uh, as it feels natural, go ahead and talk about the same questions with our Muslim friends, Farhana and the teenagers. What did you learn about Islam? But also, what did you learn about your own faith? What did you learn about your own journey as a Christian through hearing other people reflect on their faith? Yeah. Okay. I would love to hear what people learned about their own faith from listening to our guests. What did you learn about being a follower of Jesus from listening to those who don't follow Jesus or who might follow Jesus, but differently than us? Oh, yep, sorry, I know I'm... Interrupting conversations which are deep and rich, but I want to I want us to share out What did you learn about? following Jesus from people Who don't follow Jesus or who follow Jesus in different ways than us? Yeah, Mike Yeah so it's almost like uh, you're talking about our, our Muslim guests. Yeah. It's almost, yeah, like ours just was like, okay, Jesus is here, we're done. And they're like, no, 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 we're going to keep going, actually. Um, but emphasizing the, the commonalities. So that was a surprise to you to hear respect for your own tradition from a tra another tradition. Yeah. I have a technical question, though. Yeah. So between the time of... Jesus coming on the historical scene yeah. and the people who followed him as being uh, the son of God. Mm -hmm. The people who are in the Islam faith, mm -hmm. so up until the time that Muhammad came, were they then Jewish? No. no. What were they in that space of time? I don't actually know. Do you know? It's pretty about paganistic, yeah. pagan gods, just different deities, but they were not... They weren't Jews, they weren't Christians. But they, they knew of Jews and Christians. But they were not monotheistic either. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they knew about it, but that's so not sort of, They were sort of new to Christianity with Muhammad's coming? Well, they would have known Christians, but, um, and they would have known Jews, 
But the majority of people, it, it sounds like, were just practicing indigenous religions or polytheistic religions um, that got replaced. And maybe that's one reason historically then then Islam is so big on the there is one God, right? All those who haven't gotten yeah. to either the Jewish or Christian <coughs> yeah. it took all of them into Yeah. Yeah, that's something I, I don't know, but it, it seems like it, yeah. Ken? So uh, I have a, a relative that's Persian, uh-huh. and they claim that Persian, Persian religion is what Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all grew out of the Persian oh. religion was the first religion. Okay. Is it, are they Baha'i by any chance? Do you know? Uh, I, I don't recall. I huh. It was a <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Linda, I wasn't here for the Islam one. I wish I had been. But did they talk about being children? They did. That was um, someone asked a question. Do you worship the? Do you think we we worship the same God? And she said, Yes, the God who called Abraham. Other things that you learned about your own faith life, or that were illumined in your own faith life by listening to other people of different religions. We mentioned the fact, we were very impressed by the fact of how well the teenagers yeah. could express their faith and their beliefs. Yeah. So what did that do for you? Well, it, we all said, I'm not sure any of us could do the same. Yeah. Anyone else have that reaction? You're thinking, maybe I don't know what Christians believe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you have to think, why is it that Muslim teenagers are able to speak so so well, clearly? Can they answer that question? Yeah. Because there's so much misunderstanding and they're yeah. trying to spread the truth to people. Yeah. So the only way they can spread the truth is that too. Yeah. Also, yeah, the PowerPoint. Yeah, sure. <laughs> hmm. But also, you're right, the, the context of being misunderstood. Um, it's got to be hard to hear someone else tell your story. Yeah. That, and you know what? That was actually a part that I related to in my faith life was for them to talk about hearing the news tell your story. And, you know, whenever Islam's on the news, it's never something good, right? And then it's like whenever Christianity, whenever they, they call up, a Christian figure to give commentary on the news, it's seldom someone that I feel a real kinship with, you know? So I, I, I related to that. Other people. Yeah. I really liked how similar the, the Muslim faith felt to Christianity. And for me, it made the world seem smaller. It, we were more mm. community. It was tighter. We weren't so separated from them. Yeah. Yeah. That, so feeling close, like this isn't across the world anymore. This, these are our neighbors. Right. Yeah. Well, and you made that connection for me because the first question was to the Muslim woman, do you think we're worshiping the same God? And she said yes, and then they asked you. Yeah. And, you said, and I think that was very powerful. Yeah. So we feel comfortable uh, with the Catholics tradition. There's a lot of Catholics that still push back at us. Mm -hmm. We feel comfortable with what we heard from the Muslim 
Mm -hmm. But would they, do they, are they welcoming us or pushing us back? Well, it's all about what is the purpose of us being together, you know? Um, do I have to agree with them to uh, like a hundred percent to work for justice in the world or to have conversation? No, I don't. You know, like, are we going to get into a debate over whether or not Jesus actually was crucified? It's like, yeah, that part of my faith is really important to me, actually. And you don't, you don't share that. And I guess that's the difference between us. Um, that's, yeah. That's, that's the Lutheran way of looking at it. Our other faiths looking at it the same way. Because if you, mm. if, you, if you get into a casual conversation with a Catholic and you show respect for their uh, rituals, mm -hmm. uh, but then say, yeah, but not me, that's not good. They don't mm -hmm. show the same respect back. Yeah, you know, I, I think it probably depends on uh, on where people, where people are, and I think it was a huge gesture of them to come inside our church, and yeah, and and for us to be silent and to be curious and to ask a lot of um, empathetic questions. I think that 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 was really powerful. Right. So some Catholics. Yeah. 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 I sure did. <laughs> no, they didn't. But that's a nice segue to um, some resources. First of all, you can access this PowerPoint. All of these are links to other interfaith opportunities. But one is, uh, and Kathy Grindy is organizing this for women and women only, is uh, this group in the West Metro called Tapestry Interfaith for Women. On April 27th, they have, um, they have an event at the, at the mosque where you will get to go into the mosque, learn about Islam, have conversation. Um, and so you can search for them on Facebook, Tapestry Interfaith, and they should pop right up. Um, and then um, there's just all these other um, uh, resources and organizations. What time is it? Oh, okay. Well, I guess I'm going to give you some homework, um, which is we talked a lot about these three rules of interfaith dialogue. And I actually made cards with these on one side. And on the back, I'd love for you to reflect on are there other rules that I want to take in my life for interfaith dialogue? What, are, what does my um, ethic around uh, being with people of different faiths look like? So, you know, if you are um, uh, going to bed tonight, brushing your teeth, fill this out. Take some time to thoughtfully and prayerfully or casually fill it out. Um, two, and I hope you've learned something. And I hope you... Um, can take something with you. And so do be thinking as you meet people of other faiths to be listening for, for how this shapes your own life as a Christian. Um, and let me know how it goes for you. All right. No, they are for you to keep. Hold on to them. Yeah, they're up here and I'll put them by the door. So yeah. All right. Thank you, everybody.